We're in the midst of a series looking at building a culture of healing. And um, I requested particularly that we look at um, healing and the demonic. And uh, not a subject that uh, I've heard many sermons on. And not particularly in churches on a Sunday morning, although I have listened to quite a lot of teaching over the years on that and read quite a number of books. My observation of us and the church in the West is that we steer a little bit away from this. Um, I don't know whether that's out of fear or... We don't really understand what's going on, and we don't want to touch it. The other thing is we probably don't see as much with our spiritual eyes or our physical eyes that maybe they did years ago. So we're going to explore this a bit together. My request is that you you listen, that you... Maybe take some notes, or you can listen to it again, but you go and do some of your own research. I am going to say some really challenging things that will upset you, not deliberately. Just I know that we have certain things that we believe, or that we grew up with believing, and I might tread on some of those. Um... My request is that, I mean, you can come and talk to me about them afterwards and and queue up, but that you do some research, you ask God to show you, and that you begin to work some things out. So here we go. I felt as I've been reading Mark, because it's one of the books, look, Mark is a book that, bang, gets straight into what Jesus does. Chapter 1 gives you the whole gospel. It's um, apparently, and I haven't researched this, my wife told me, I think, that immediate is mentioned 50 or 51 times. There's an urgency in Mark. He wants to tell you what Jesus does and will do for you. And um, let's look at Mark chapter 4. And as I was reading this, God really spoke to me out of Mark chapter 4. Mark 4:24 says, "Then Jesus said to them, "Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given." This is what it's this saying, because sometimes scriptural language does us. When you hear something, you need to use it. Do something about it. Respond. If you do that, you'll get more. If you don't, you'll lose it. Read Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. What I find amazing about that parable is that the bloke who has one buries it. The bloke who has five makes five. And the bloke who has ten makes ten. Both make 100%. But what Jesus, or what the... Master does when he comes back, he gives it to the bloke who's got more. It's not fair. 
And that's what he said the kingdom of God is like. The more you get, the more you get. It's not socialism. He's not a socialist. He gives more to those who have more. That's the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So this morning, if you hear some things and don't respond, you won't get more. It's your choice. When God speaks to you, and he will, and has already, you have to do something about it. I'm going to give you some background. In Revelation 12, we understand, and I've always understood growing up, but sometimes you don't know why you believe something, do you? It says that the devil was cast down and a third of angels went went with him. All right? So a third of angels, now fallen angels, demons are down here. We don't know how many that is. Just let me help you. There are twice as many angels as there are demons. All right? Twice as many, plus there's God. All right, we have to put this in context. All right? But there are demons. Angels have had direct contact with humanity. We see that fallen angels, Satan, talks to Adam and Eve. A bit further in Genesis 6, we read about the Nephilim. It says the sons of God came down, had intercourse with women and giants appeared on the earth. It's thought that the sons of God might be angels. They have contact. All right? Angels are involved in ministry. They ministered to Jesus at the end of his 40 days fasting. And in Hebrews 1, right at the end, it says they are involved in ministering to all those who will inherit salvation. Right? So angels are ministering to us. Sometimes we don't know it. I mean, there's a verse in Scripture that says sometimes we accidentally give hospitality to angels. We don't know it. We only do that when we have strangers in our home sometimes. Or, well, what if we buy a bloke a cup of coffee on the street because he looks homeless, but he's an angel? What if that was the case? What if angels are the homeless people? <laughs> Where did you come from? Just a thought. Anyway, just throw away. That, that, you can have that one for free. Look, The early church were used to angels. In fact, they were warned against worship, worshipping them. They perceived them much more than we do. All right, These are angels, not demons. They were aware of their presence in meetings. In fact, um, the story of Peter being locked in prison and uh, getting released gets to the door where they're praying for him to be released. And the girl goes, it's Peter, it's Peter. Our prayers are not to them. No, don't be daft. It's probably his angel. So they understood much more than I think we do the presence of angels and demons. Uh, Yeah, come on. We need a bit more. Okay. Acts 10.38. I love this verse. I started with it at the start of the year. 
Uh, God anointed Jesus as Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he linked healing with oppression from the devil. Look, sickness is not from God. One of the sad things I heard, and I haven't chatted to Ruth about this, that one of uh, my mother-in-law's friends said, oh, I think this will be good for Wilma. No, it won't. She's had a huge tumor removed from her stomach. That's not good for her. Now, in God, I understood what she meant. That God will somehow transform that for good, but it is not a good experience for her. God does not give sickness. Our battle is not with God. It's, against, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of these, this world, of this dark age. And it's wicked. Sickness is wicked. Discerning of spirits is a spiritual gift. And we have to have that spiritual gift amongst us. Maybe that's not a mature gift amongst us. Jesus gave us authority, his disciples. He gave us authority over demons. You can read it in numerous places. And when I've read those places, the first thing he says, you've got authority over demons and then authority to heal the sick. So authority over demons came first in every of the synoptic gospels. Have a read. Check me out. Jesus in Mark 1 healed many people and cast out many demons. One of my questions when looking at this whole subject is, I wonder if we've been praying right sometime. James says you do not have because you ask amiss. And I've just been pondering. Sometimes we're praying for the sick. Maybe that sickness is linked to some demonic activity. It's a question I have. I am not saying every sickness is a demon. Please, please hear me. But I want us to think about it. And I want us to listen to God and be much more discerning than we are. I asked you to read a couple of chapters of the Bible. Mark chapter 5, which is Jesus healing the demoniac. I've got some observations. I'm not going to read it now. It'll take too long, and you've all read it. Um, where we see Jesus come in into a place, if I could remember it, it begins with G, and it's Galerine, yeah. It's called something else in, in, in Matthew 8. Yeah, something like that. And he sees a man who has been living in the tombs, living in dead, in where the dead reside. I wasn't going to say live, but that would have been wrong. <laughs> people, people had tried to... Look, he... They didn't want him around, so they tried to bind him with chains and hide him out of the way. 
he had some superhuman strength, which we assume was demonic, because he was able to snap chains. He cried out. He was obviously in some sort of torment, and he self-harmed. He cut himself with stones. But in that state of mind and trauma and torment, when he saw Jesus, he ran to worship him. He made a decision. He saw something and he ran to worship Jesus. Jesus set him free. It's interesting, at the start of the passage, it said he had a demon. When Jesus spoke to the demon, that demon was called Legion, and said, we're many. Jesus cast the demon into the pigs, about 2,000, and then they jumped off a cliff into the sea. I mean, there were pig herders there, weren't there? And they just lost their job. They were made redundant. How about that? You imagine going back to your, well, we lost them all, <laughs> sir. <laughs> 2,000, yeah, yeah, it wasn't the one we lost. The whole lot <laughs> decided to run and jump into the sea. That was quite strange. Imagine that. I mean, I know that Jews didn't eat pork or anything like that, but others did. And somebody just lost their business for this precious man. He sat rather than running around after he was delivered. He was clothed, not naked. Remind you of the garden. He was in his right mind. Interestingly, Jesus was asked to leave because they were afraid. They were afraid. They were afraid of the bloke before, now they're afraid of Jesus. And here we go. This is what I love. The bloke says, oh, I'm going to follow you now, Jesus. He says, no. <laughs> go back. Tell your story. Tell your testimony. I think that's crazy. In one sense, look, He's not been discipled by Jesus for 40 days. He needs some help. He needs a discipleship program. <laughs> when you get transformed by God and the power of God comes and imparts into you, he gives you the power to live a Christian life. In other words, what I'm saying, you guys have the Holy Spirit. You know how to live a Christian life. You've got to use it, though. Mark 4.24 says, When God speaks to you, and he does, and you don't follow his nudges or your inclinations, you won't get more. You just keep going around the roundabout until you do. It's that road. It's that road. It's that road. I think they come as a whisper. I love the fact that we have a whispering mic. Did you know that? How does everybody know what song to play? Gonna do number two next. It's called a whispering mic. There are whispers in atmospheres too. There are demons whispering. There are angels whispering. Okay. How do demons attach? I want, here's a picture of a runway. 
Oh, there is a piece. It's on here. <laughs> now, the, one of the questions asked is, can a, can a Christian have a demon? Can a Christian be oppressed by a demon? I think so. Yeah. I've seen some Christians set free from demonic attachments. And I think what we do sometimes is we create landing platforms for demons. So, that aeroplane is a demon with wings. By the way, demons don't look black or horrible. Paul says, they walk around like ministers of righteousness. Sometimes they look godly and beautiful. They don't look horrible. We'd all spot a horrible-looking devil walking in here, wouldn't we? Oh, look, there's the... I've got a few things that I felt God show me. It's not exhaustive, all right? You'll probably think of many more, but these are the things that I felt God show me about how demons attach. We live in tombs. We live dwelling among the dead. What do I mean by that? Well, you choose where you spend your time and who you spend your time with and what you spend your time doing and giving your time to. And what you give your time to will influence and open a door to certain things. If you spend your time watching horror movies, you will, uh, you're sending a landing light to a spirit of fear in your life. Look, we're Christians, most of us here are Christians anyway. Um, we, <laughs> one of the things when you become a Christian, you suddenly know what sin is. Before you didn't, now you do. So if you go and choose to sin, when you do that, you go, oh, here's a light, come and land here. Now, I know we all occasionally sin, but there's a way to reconcile that, and we know when we've done it, and we just go, I've blown it. Jesus, help me. But if we continue to do that, we open a door and create a landing runway for demonic activity in our life in that specific area. So if you are looking at pornography and you, you, and you continue to do it, you will attract demons. And then that power will become more and you will have a big, big struggle in in doing and keeping looking patterns of thinking proverbs 23 says as a man thinks so is he if you think low of yourself you will become that way this is us christians by the way all right if you continue to do that you will attract a demon and you will give them ground in your life. By the way, it's an inverted form of worship. Because you have made yourself the focus of your life. You're not allowed to do that. You are to look at Jesus like the man in the tombs. He ran. He made his focus Jesus, not himself. It had been. I don't know what pain or trauma had been in his life for him to cut himself. Low self-image is an inverted form of worship. You have made yourself the focus, not Jesus. 
Sometimes there are generational things that happen in our life. I can look in my life and see that the sins of the fathers have followed at times. Why do we see that, you know, we can see it with alcoholics? Definitely. And apparently in my history, there was a history of alcoholism. Fear. Do you know to fear is, is a sin? It can be a spirit of fear. We're not allowed to fear. Addictions, wounds. You know, if you're playing with the occult, horoscopes, Ouija boards, you are going, here's a light. Come, going to visit a clairvoyant. If you are doing those things, you are opening the door to demonic activity in your life and you're giving demonic demons a foothold to influence you. In, in Romans 12, I want to just go back to this because I, I think this is really important. In Romans 12, Paul says, do not think higher, or you ought to not think more highly of yourself. In some respects, I don't think we've got too much of a problem with that. I think in our culture, um, people think really low of themselves. Psalm 8 says, we were made just a little lower than the angels. Just a little lower. I mean, humanity, God made us incredible. He did. Just a little lower than the angels. So you are incredible. You were made incredible. <clears throat> I'm going to, too much time. Uh, okay, Mark 9. I, I got you to read about the transfiguration. There's a couple of things there. Some observations, Mark 9. Elijah is coming first and restores all things. That's what Jesus said. And um, I was interested in that because Elijah, he said, was coming first. Of course, he referred to John as being Elijah and restoring all things. And what John came to do was restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. And when he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, who does he meet first? A father who wants to see his son restored. I just, I went, oh, wow. That's just incredible. I'd not ever seen that before. Here's something else I saw about transfiguration. Jesus is adorned in glorious white robes, and he's got Moses and Elijah next to him, and it says, Peter says, ooh, should we make some tents, some tabernacle, you know, and, and stay here? And then it says afterwards, Peter said something because he didn't know what to say. Right, that verse is incredible. And I think there are moments of awe and wonder or in situations and we speak because we don't know what to say. And I wonder whether we should just be quiet and listen for what Jesus or the Father wants to say to us. That's really important for us to hear. The scribes are disputing with the disciples. The father brings his son 
He, the Father, listen to this, knows that it's a spirit. So his son is deaf and dumb, but his father knows that it's a spirit, not that he's just got something wrong with him physically. I I just think, wow, there was much more awareness around that culture of spirit, the spiritual world, whereas here... We're much more aware of the scientific world and how um, and the medical world. We all want to know what's what's wrong. Jesus asked this question: How long has it been happening? And then he says, "All things are possible to him who believe." And the Father says, "I believe, but help my unbelief." That's a classic. I think we all quote that sometimes. I believe you, God. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. But help my unbelief, because unbelief really impacts. Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of unbelief. Corporate unbelief affects us. Cynicism affects us and affects our prayer life and the ability for the Holy Spirit and God to do miracles amongst us. This kind, he said, can only come out by prayer and fasting. I'm unsure about what that means. But what I do know, well, what I've been thinking about, I wonder why Jesus asked the question for how long has it been happening? I wonder if we continue in something or something's there for a long time that it needs, it needs prayer and fasting. I mean, it's, it's why we're continuing prayer and fasting. I have to say, when we did that corporately for, Pratt, for Pam, we saw some breakthrough. Now, we're not going to do it for the next 12 or 15 months, but we felt as a team we want to continue that corporately for the next month for those that are sick. How do we respond? So I'm, I'm, I'm into landing. I'm not into landing a demon. But I do want to land some things. How do we, how do I respond Well, we must hear and do. So if God has spoken to you about something, if something has gone all in your heart, you've got to do something about that. And when you do, more will be given to you. You'll get freer. You know, we can hide things away. I love Caroline's testimony because she hid stuff for years and years and years. And when she began to share it with a few... God did an amazing thing, and I love her testimony. She said, I'm not a recovering alcoholic. She's really clear. She says, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Because she knows she's been free and is free. But sometimes our families help us hide stuff that go on in our lives. Because they don't want, it's the family secret. You've got to worship Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself. Off woe is me and unto him. You, look, if the bloke in the tombs can run to Jesus, who had a legion of demons, you can run to him and worship him. Worship, worshipping Jesus will break demonic activity in your life, but it is a choice. Or you can just choose to keep doing the stuff. Don't keep it a secret. Remember this. There's a two-to-one advantage over, over demons. There is two-to-one plus God. And when Daniel was 
praying for God to intervene. We, we read of a, demo, of a battle in the heavenlies. And it said, you know, that he had to send Michael to break through. So it is a battle. It's not, we're not fighting people. We're not fighting each other. No fear. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Fear, some, you know, if you walk in it, if you continue to live by it. I mean, my, my grandmother, bless her, and I loved her. She was a godly woman in, in many ways, but if she had nothing to worry about, she would worry that she had nothing to worry about. She lived in fear. And at greater... Okay. So confession. I think confession is really important. If we've been practicing sin that we know about, then we need to confess it. James 5 says, confess your sin to one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. Incredible. We have the power to forgive sins. Jesus did it before he healed anybody, actually. Remember the man lowered down by his mates? Jesus said, his sins are forgiven. And he perceived that they said, how can you do that? But we can forgive one another. And if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 8 says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And confession and bringing stuff into the light will break stuff. Look, we know, you know, a lot of this stuff was into churches. Because why? Because we know what sin is. God's call is for us to live holy. Where we don't do that, where we walk in things that we know we shouldn't be, we give place to the devil in our life and it will cause us and bring us torment. But look, greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. And he's called us to be overcomers. Overcomers. And we are overcomers by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Not in our own strength, but understanding what God has done for us and who he's made us to be and the power that he's placed in us to discern spirits. We do. Sometimes in, I've been in a place and I thought, I smell something here. I know some things. I know atmospheres. I can walk in. I can sense stuff. And we, you, you can ask for gifts, can't you? If you desire that gift of discerning spirits, you can have it. I think this is an area for us to grow in as a church community. So that we listen before we're praying for people. Many of the miracles Jesus did, he often would cast out a demon, a deaf and dumb spirit, as we've seen. When we might see its sickness. I went on a training session with Bill Johnson. Well, Randy Clark actually was leading it down in Southampton. And he begins with casting out a spirit of infirmity where there is a sickness or a disease. I mean, let's cover the bases. Let's cover the bases. Feels a bit like I've like chucked all my thoughts on you. But I think God wants to do something in our hearts and I think he's spoken to people. We want to see people free, don't we, from 
things that bind us and have kept us from being free for years and years and years. And I know because I've had some of that stuff in my life and God has been setting me free from stuff that has plagued me and I didn't realize had plagued me for many, many years. And I just want us all to be free, as free as we can be. So let's just close our eyes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Look, if you are, if you're compelled to do something, in other words, there's something you just can't stop doing, I suspect there's some sort of demonic oppression on you. If there's something that you know you're free from, but every now and again, and you just, <clears throat> you just keep going back to it, then I suspect there's some wound that still needs a bit of healing, whether when the enemy has got a little bit of a foothold. And then if you want some, if you want freedom from that, we want you to respond. Now, I realize that's scary, you know. But look, that man ran in front of everyone to worship Jesus. And maybe your response is just to run and worship him this morning. We're gonna just worship him together. Maybe with your heart, you're running to him, to worship him. You're going to fall at his feet as we sing. You're going to take your eyes off yourself. And you're going to gaze at him. You're going to risk a glance. And you're going to say to him, Jesus, this is what I'm really like. I know I'm messing up. Or I can't stop doing this. But I'm here to worship you. I'm going to take my eyes off the problem. Off my plan to succeed. And to conquer it myself. And I'm going to gaze at you, Jesus.